Welcome to The Robinson Show, everybody. I'm your host, Ed Robinson, and we've got a great show for you today. We've got basketball player Tamika Johnson to talk about her career and her nonprofit organization, and we've got a young star by the name of Brandon Sly to talk about his career playing at a small school and also his plans for his future. That's all coming up on The Robinson Show. You stay tuned. If you thought the ebook was outstanding, you haven't witnessed anything yet. Coming June 26th, Flying High to Victory, a recap of the 2017 Philadelphia Eagles season, now will be available on audiobook. If you love the ebook experience, then you're going to love the audiobook. Available June 26th. Welcome back to The Robinson Show, everybody. I'm your host, Ed Robinson. And anyone that knows me well know that I'm an advocate for women's sports. And certainly, this next lady that I'm interviewing is someone that has been has had a stellar career thus far in basketball. She was an All-American at LSU, and now she's transformed that into a solid WNBA career as well as playing overseas. And we're going to talk to a little, her a little bit about her life and her time in college, as well as her current professional career and her nonprofit organization. Ladies and gentlemen, we have Tamika Johnson. Tamika, welcome to The Robinson Show. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. You know, in this journey we go through called life, tell the listening audience out there, where did the journey all begin? Oh, the journey for me began in um, New Orleans and then uh, the Kenner area, uh, Louisiana. And from there, it just uh, grew and enhanced to... Baton Rouge, and then Washington, D.C., from there, uh, overseas to different countries and other states to be able to play my uh, career for, uh, professionally. So, But it all started in the Ken area. Now, how did you develop a love for the sport of basketball? Was it something through your parents, or was this something through maybe your siblings, or was it just kind of like challenging the boys in the neighborhood? How did your love of basketball grow in you at an early age? I, it came from both my parents. Both my parents played. Um, I have an uncle that played. My family was very, you know, athletic in that sort. So it came from everything that you mentioned. Um, I'm the oldest, so I won't say it came from my siblings, but my uncles and my aunts, they pushed me to to the T. Um, but both, yes, my mom and my dad played. I tell everybody that I believe I came out of my mother dribbling the basketball. <laughs> oh, wow. So there was definitely in the genes right there. Absolutely. My next question is, I want to ask you is, what was the game or what was the defining moment that you knew, like, I've got something, I can do this, I can make this out of a career. I know that I can not only put food on the table, but it was something that you could see see this going to new heights. You know, it's, my answer to this is probably going to be different than what most people would think. Um, but for me, I didn't know. And not that I wasn't confident in myself. I was always a one step at a time type person. And so I just believe that if I worked hard, my hard work would carry me wherever I needed to be. Uh, I actually enjoyed track, and I loved running and being on a track and field. And then I realized it was too hot <laughs> at home, so I chose the indoor sport. But I knew that I loved it. I knew that I, I enjoyed playing it. I knew that I was very competitive, so I always loved the challenge. Uh, but my focus was always on what I was doing at that moment, and I just knew that it would prepare me for whatever was to come. You had a stellar career in high school, and now the journey brought you to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, at a Louisiana State University, LSU. Now, I want to talk a little bit about going through your bio. You played half of your collegiate career. You could correct me if I'm wrong. Was this with uh, the late Sue Gunter? Absolutely. Okay, talk a little bit about your time with Coach Gunter, and what were some of the things that you learned from her that transferred into your life and current career? Wow, thank you for that. Um, Coach Gunner is amazing. And I'm not just saying that or being biased because I played for her and got a chance to spend some time with her. I'm speaking of her as a woman before I speak about her as a coach. When it came to the game of basketball, of course, she loved the game, but it was more of who we were as women, how we handled ourselves, 
our character as an individual and who we grew to become from the things that she instilled in us. And that right there, I've been able to carry with me throughout life. Dream big, work hard was definitely her motto. But uh, one of the things that she told me, the last thing that she told me was, whenever you feel as though you've given everything that you've given and you don't think that you can go anymore, give a little bit more. And so at first, when she first said it, I wasn't sure. I was like, oh, did I just hear you right? But I understood. It's basically persevering and pressing through. And I've carried that uh, throughout my tenure. Uh, but who she was as a as a person was absolutely phenomenal. There were some moments in her basketball career that got shunned because of some other things uh, that took place in the world uh, as far as her being a coach for the USA basketball team and stuff like that. But her knowledge for the game was uh, exceptional. And her com- her competitiveness uh, was phenomenal as well. So I was thankful to be able to play for someone like that. And it's like, like people say the wisdom of old, but somebody that paved the way was doing things before Title IX and stuff like that. So uh, I was thankful, and I, I don't take it for granted at all. The first part of your collegiate career, you were coached by Sue Gunter, and then the latter part of your collegiate career, you were coached by Pokey Chapman. If you would like to, can you kind of briefly elaborate on kind of like uh, what Coach Chapman's approach was? Because it seemed like she was always very fiery on the court and very edgy. So if, if you would like to kind of comment on what was your time like with Coach Chapman. Uh, it was no different. Uh, Coach Chapman was also the, one of the assistant coaches when uh, Coach Gunner was there. So it was like a carryover of her, just a younger version. The intensity and the tenacious attitude was to pretty much light a fire a fire up underneath the players. And uh, she was younger, had a little bit more energy and uh, spunk to her and stuff like that. But uh, it was not very much of a difference, to be honest, because uh, she was up underneath Coach Gunner for so long that, you know, pretty much a lot of stuff was similar. But, of course, you have to come from up underneath the wing and try and put your own stamp on things. But a lot of the philosophies were very similar, and uh, we got better every day. It wasn't too much of an adjustment, like you said before, just with going with the, with the changing of the guard because Coach Chadman learned well under uh, Coach Gunter. Your years at LSU were outstanding. I'm looking at some of your statistics right here. Your freshman year, you averaged over 11 points per game. And then your sophomore year, you averaged over 10 points per game. Your junior year, you went almost, you averaged over 12 points per game. And then your senior year, you averaged just over 10 points per game. So certainly you had a, a stellar career at LSU and you played alongside Simone Augustus. Tell me a little bit briefly about your, your teammate with Simone because I know she was always on point in terms of her game. It was great. It was a great opportunity. It was a great um, time at LSU. Simone and I was able to do some tremendous things together on the court. I tell everybody, like, she's, like, a main reason for half of my assists, me holding the assist record at LSU and in the SEC. Um, But it was great to be able to have somebody that had a knack for the ball, that enjoyed playing the game, that uh, loved the game, and just knew how to score. It was uh, pretty much effortless, but she worked really hard at her craft and what it was that she wanted to obtain and accomplish. Um, We were able to accomplish many great things together, and it was a joy playing with her and being her teammate. And then we got the uh, the big girl. We got Sylvia Files to come along with us. So the three of us was able to enjoy each other, grow with one another, and have some fun uh, playing basketball at LSU together. Yeah, and I was going to mention uh, Sylvia as well. You know, Sylvia was such a dominant presence out there. Tell me, I know Sylvia was a dominant presence on the defensive side. Tell me, what was her approach to the game? Well, I played with Sylvia when she was a freshman, and she came in uh, as a sponge. Like, she soaked up everything. She wanted to make sure that she did everything that was asked of her. She was going to go hard. She was going to have her teammates back. Um, And she's grown tremendously. I'm still watching the both of them play now. And um, just to see where she is now compared to where she was, and it's, it's amazing to see the growth. And not just in Sylvia, but also in Simone, and to see how well that they're still enjoying the game and how much better they're they've gotten in. Uh, the way that they're playing with uh, each other as well as competing against the best that there is uh, has been a tremendous thing for me to watch. But Sylvia came in as a sponge, like I said, and soaked up everything and gave us everything that she had. And she just continued to grow more and more from that moment on. All right. So after a solid career at LSU, your next step was playing on a professional level. And uh, you ended up in the WNBA where you were drafted by the Washington Mystics in 2005. Kind of tell the listening audience out there about draft night. Just 
the atmosphere and the anticipation, hearing your name called and your family and your friends just being so proud of you and just sacrificing and working hard after all those years. It's an amazing feeling, one that you can't really put into words. Uh, you, you're sitting there, you're waiting, you're nervous, you're anxious, um, but you're excited all at once. You know, you've worked extremely hard to be in the position that you're in. Uh, and I thought, honestly, up until the moment that it was called that I was going to Houston. My agent and I had talked, and we were going to um, – and Houston had been talking, and they needed a point guard, and they wanted – me to come and this is this and uh coach van chancellor actually at the, was the coach at the time and he changed his mind at the end and uh at number five i wasn't going to houston i ended up going to washington at number six um but at that time it's just it's a great thing to hear your name call and to know that you're getting ready to start a new journey a new level of basketball and a new uh, journey in life but it's an amazing feeling and your family's extremely proud of you your neighborhoods are proud of you university's proud of you your coaches and and everybody that had played a part in your life and helping you to, to push you or giving you an encouraging word or anything of that sort along the way, they're all extremely happy because now you're representing more than just yourself or just your university. You're representing the whole city, a whole town and all this kind of stuff on a big, on one of the biggest stages that there is for, or the biggest stage that there is for women's basketball. So uh, it was an amazing, an amazing moment. And, uh, Nobody would have ever told me that in doing that or whatever, I would have came out as rookie of the year. I just went on and I played the game to the best of my ability, and I thank God for the talent that he's given me, and it, it allowed me to uh, win that award. You had a fantastic rookie year. You won rookie of the year, and you ranked second in the WNBA in assists that year. But at the beginning of the following year, you were traded to the Los Angeles Sparks. You played three seasons in L.A. This was your first run with Los Angeles. Tell me about the first run you had with LA. It was phenomenal. I enjoyed playing for uh, Jelly Bean, Brian, Kobe's dad. But most importantly, I enjoyed playing with Lisa and those uh, those young ladies uh, and those older women who took me up, on, up underneath their wing and allowed me to be the point guard that I was and allowed me to lead from the position and allowed me to play the game the way that I needed to while also teaching me things and allowing me to learn things on my own. The respect was absolutely amazing. Uh, I enjoyed playing uh, for Jelly and growing. And then I played for Michael Cooper. Um, but I, at that moment, I just was enjoying my teammates and uh, enjoyed L.A. So after your first run in L.A., you wound up going to the Phoenix Mercury where you won a WNBA championship. When I went to Phoenix, people don't know that I had considered um, – not even playing basketball anymore. 2008 was a very tough year for me. I ended up losing my grandmother who had raised me and the thing just wasn't the same. Basketball wasn't the same. I wasn't enjoying it like I uh, once, once did before. I actually um, ended up, my contract was up, so I was a free agent and I, I ended up signing with Phoenix. And it's a good thing that I didn't um, throw in the towel because that same year, starting point guard of the Phoenix Mercury, we won a, a championship, which was uh, one of the most greatest things ever. Um, and I played with some phenomenal women in Diana Taurasi, Cappy Pondax, Tangela Smith, Nicole Willingham, Brooke Smith, Nicole Oldie. Like we, we had uh, Kelly Mazzanti, we had Penny Taylor. We had amazing people and a good group of women that uh, grew to believe in each other. And uh, we were able to come out on top against a very talented Indiana Fever that year. I tell you what, those are some heavy hitters that you played with during your time in Phoenix. I want to talk about Diana Taurasi because her game is phenomenal. When I watch her play, it's like her her intensity her intensity is through the roof. I I followed her when she was at UConn. Tell me what was it like having her as a teammate? Uh, Diana's great. Uh, the one thing that you understand off the back is that Diana's a winner. Um, but more importantly, you learn when you're playing with her that she likes to have fun and she enjoys the game of basketball and you're going to have fun while playing with her. She's a strong, fierce competitor. Um, and she, she, she accepts the challenges that's, that's being thrown at her and she loves it. But being her teammate was absolutely great. And, um, I enjoyed it, but more importantly, having fun. She, she taught me how to, um, still be competitive and have fun while doing it. And I'm forever grateful for that.
rightfully so. And also you played with some great talented people such as uh, Cappy Pond Dexter. Also, as you mentioned earlier, Penny Taylor and Candace Dupree. So after you won a title in Phoenix, you played a, a season with the Tulsa Shock. Any memories, anything you want to share with the listening audience about your time in Tulsa? Tulsa was a little different because uh, it was trying to rebuild. And I tell everybody my experience in Tulsa was great because I knew what it was to be at the top. And I learned what it was to be at the bottom. So my, nobody could ever tell me that I didn't, that I don't understand it. So I just took Tulsa as a learning experience for me um, to be able to understand that the game, as much as we love it, it gives you some highs and it brings you some lows. But uh, that it, it was pretty good. The people, the fans were amazing. They really wanted to get behind it and support it as much as they can, they could or whatever. So I don't really have anything negative at all to say about it. I just look at it. I think every season for me is a growing lesson and a growing experience. And I, I learned what it was to be on top as well as on the bottom in, in Tulsa. And I, uh, I'm forever grateful for that as well. There's a learning lesson and experience in everything. All right. So you mentioned about the adjustment and the learning process during your time in Tulsa. You had to make another cultural shift going from Tulsa to the Pacific Northwest. And you played for the Seattle Storm. Uh, your memories of being in Seattle. I got a chance to learn the team and grow with them. And I actually got a chance to play with Tina Thompson for her last year, who's you know, just inducted into the Women's Hall of Fame. So I've been thankful for that. I was extremely grateful for that relationship as well as Camille Little and Tanisha Wright and uh, those women that we were that we were that I had competed against night in and night out to be um, on the same team with them and to get to know them as individuals was probably the best time of my um, career as far as people and, and gelling with my teammates and stuff like that. Uh, I, I I really enjoyed my time in Seattle. Then the following year, I got to play with Sue and got to know her um, a little bit better as a person rather than competing against her my entire career. So it was it was good uh, playing with her as well as um, learning certain things and sharing certain things with her because by that time, I wasn't like a young, young play, uh, player. But, you know, the mutual respect was there and it was it was a joy. I want to bring back up Tina Thompson was one of the forebearers or one of the pioneers of the early WNBA movement. When the WNBA first started, it was Lisa Leslie, Rebecca Lobo, uh, Teresa Weatherspoon, Teresa Edwards, Cheryl Swoops, and then Tina Thompson and Cynthia Cooper. And Tina Thompson, I call it the first dynasty in the WNBA with the Houston Comets. I got to ask you, it seems like Tina look, looks like a lot of fun. What's? I'm sure her energy was just uh, infectious every time you were around her. Absolutely. Tina being the very first WNBA draft pick of, of the first draft that they have was phenomenal. You had watched them. You know, I had watched those ladies with USA Basketball and saw how many things that they've done to pave the way, you know, watch Tina get drafted and stuff like that and watch the draft is like you know what we've we've waited so long and now there is this opportunity for women to compete to compete on a higher level uh, and not just have to go overseas and play and all this kind of stuff but Tina's energy is phenomenal um she's a fierce competitor yes she likes to enjoy the game yes she likes to have fun she's gonna have your back across the board she's for you she's for you she's gonna ride with you I love TT um absolutely an amazing person an amazing mom uh, an amazing daughter, uh, but more importantly to me, she was an amazing friend and amazing teammate. So you're absolutely right. Her energy is uh, infectious, and it did carry over to each and every one of us. All right, so you leave the Pacific Northwest, and you have a second run in L.A. with the Sparks. Now, this Sparks team is different this time. They have some quality, some all-star players on the team. You uh, join up with Candace Parker and also Neka Agwumake. I was with Candace her rookie year in 2008. And then I left and went to Phoenix. Um, but that, that season there was just really crazy and funky. Candy didn't come to the middle of the season. NECA was just getting into the point of, you know, being groomed to take over certain things. And she's a phenomenal athlete. And, you know, the following year she was MVP of the entire league. So I had an opportunity to play with and among some some really talented young ladies. And it was really fun to get to know them and uh, watch them grow. And then you had a, a solid looking at your stats right here. You played, spent some time overseas. Tell me some of your uh, rewarding experience that you have playing overseas. Well, I came away with the Euro Cup championship and was able to get to uh, get some medals throughout my tenure um, 
playing in the uh, overseas. And it's actually more about the experience. You know, you know, I'm a young girl from a small little place. I'm not going to say a small city because Canada, New Orleans is not that small. But um, if you would have told me that basketball would have taken me around the world, I would have told you you were kidding me. Um, to be able to learn a different style of play, to be able to go to Russia and play for five years, to go to France and Poland and uh, Croatia and Israel and Hungary and go to all those different places that I've been able to go. Um, nobody would have told me that basketball would have taken me there. Um, and I've just been able to enjoy the game, grow, learn different language, learn different uh, styles of play, um, understand different cultures and stuff like that. So uh, I've been really fortunate to be honest, um, in every area that I've been able to go and touch the ground, whatever my feet was planted up on, I've been really fortunate to not only just enjoy the game, but enjoy the culture and learn new people and meet new friends. Speaking of, while we're continuing to talk about your career for a second, before we went on the air, you were telling me a little bit about you were currently training and you were in the process, you were also in the process of rehabbing. You're currently a free agent right now, so tell our listening audience out there, what are you rehabbing for, and how did the injury happen? I was currently um, playing in Spain, and I tore my Achilles, which is a very painful injury. Um, But I'm well ahead, and I'm walking and running. I'm actually running now. I did stadiums and stuff today. Uh, But I'm feeling pretty good. I I am uh, not sure in which direction everything is going to go. But right now my focus is uh, just getting back to my normal self, if not better, to be able to continue the way I would like to. So the rehab is going really, really well. Um, I have a great team of people that's around me and I am excited about the process and the progress of where I am. Are you on the contract right now in Spain or no, you're I'm not? not? You're not. Okay. So, so once you finish your contract, unless you sign dual years or whatever once you finish your contract with a team overseas you're free from that so nobody has any bonding agreements to you or whatnot and you're free to go wherever you please so the contracts run year to year uh, it depends on how you sign it yes pretty much so okay so now that you so since you explained that to me so you're not you're a free agent as of this time if you would like to get back to the WNBA do you have a team or certain teams that you would like to play for or it doesn't really matter? No, no, no. You don't think about it. No, it's not a team that you want to play for. You just want to be able to compete. Okay. Now, while we're looking at your career, you playing both in the WNBA and overseas. One thing that has really been a stronghold in women's sports is money. And is the money better overseas or was the money better in the WNBA or is it kind of about the same? No, the money is definitely better overseas, and that's why people go. And people don't realize, like, a lot of people like to say that the game is not like the men and this and this. And, yes, I understand that the men have an 82-game season. season. The WNBA is compacted into just the summer, and from there you go overseas. So it's pretty much, they say, like four months out of the summer and seven or eight months overseas. So you're really playing 11 11 months of basketball year-round while traveling, while going play in other countries, while doing all the stuff. So, you know, we put our bodies through a lot of things to obtain uh, the goals that we want to accomplish as well as continue to compete and enjoy the game that we love so much. And the women's game is growing tremendously, and the, the, and the direction that it's going is, is phenomenal. And to see those young kids still have the, the drive and um, the talent that's coming into the WNBA and that's going to be abroad, it's, it's amazing to see. How long do you see yourself playing? You know what? It's This is one thing that people <laughs> are, are really skeptical to say, but for me, it's however long God says. Uh, he's the head of my life, and if he says time to move in another direction, then that's what's going to take place. I'm not taking my talent for granted. I uh, enjoy the game. I love it. I'm thankful. I'm so it's much smaller than most people would say or think, and I was able to do Uh, the job that I was able to do and do it well with the gift that he's given me. So I can't take that for granted at at all. I'm getting a little older now. So, you know, it's time. It may be time to go in a different direction. I don't know that right now, but whatever God says, I will move forward with it. All right. Let's talk about your nonprofit organization. Your organization is called the Hope Foundation. Explain to the audience out there what's the premise and what the Hope Foundation is all about. 
Well, the Hope Foundation stands for Heaven Opens People's Eyes. And for so many years of me playing, everybody has come up to me and, you know, expressed to me how much hope I gave them. And it didn't matter the, the type of people, the nationality, the race, the the height, the nothing, the skin color, anything. Everybody would come and say, you know, you give us so much hope. And we know that watching you play the game the way that you play it gives us the hope to be able to do things um, ourselves. And that alone uh, kept the fire burning in me because I was just doing something that I love to do without realizing how many people I was impacting. Um, And with them telling me that it allowed me to enjoy what I was doing even more so and to know that I was doing it with a sense of purpose um, because there's somebody watching every day. You never know who you're impacting. So that's how it really came about, uh, the the name, Hope, or whatever. And I didn't know what it was going to stand for. But, you know, my relationship with God, as I was talking to you about, it, he actually gave me the name, and um, and it went from there. I was always somebody that gave back, and I never wanted to be in the limelight about it or anything. It was just something that I enjoyed doing. Now, people don't realize the game of basketball, like I said, it brings you, it gives you highs and it gives you lows. And when you're up, you're up. When you're down, you're down. But the one thing about helping somebody and giving them a helping hand and seeing the expression on their face and the smile and the, the gratification is um, is priceless. It can't be faked or anything. And um, it brings you so much more joy and fulfillment knowing that you can do that uh, for someone. So the Hope Foundation is basically to instill hope in those that you come in contact with. But there's an educational piece. Um, I like to use my traveling experience to be able to let people know that you can do it. There's a motivational piece. There's a etiquette piece. There's family piece because that's important and, and, and all this kind of stuff. But the educational part is extremely important because my grandmother was a school teacher and instilled that in me. I, I like to tell kids all the time that if I couldn't play basketball again today or tomorrow, I did graduate and I do have a degree. And that's something that can't be taken away from you. So I try to express the importance of education and let them know that. You may be able to play this sport or do this, but if you can't read and write, it's not worth anything. So I just try to use my um, experience to be able to share with them. Um, There's also a piece about that I'm actually going to do in September with uh, hosting an event to honor Coach Gunner. Uh, her her mother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, so I'm gonna try and I'm partnering with Alzheimer's to host an event to keep Coach Gunner legacy going on on September 7th and uh, of this year, 2018. Um, I'll have a um, Sugana Legacy dinner and honoring her and trying to do some things with feeding the homeless. And you can so many ways I tell people hope doesn't always come in a financial way. Sometimes people just need a hug. Sometimes people just need a listening ear. Sometimes people just need a smile. You just never know what people are going through. So I'm actually happy and excited about my foundation. I'm excited just hearing about all the wonderful things that you're doing. That's that's truly phenomenal. And I just um, want to touch briefly on what you talked about the importance of education because a lot of people in our communities especially in the inner cities you know they see basketball they see athletes or they see rappers that have a lot of the money and stuff like that and that's those careers are fine but they have to understand that sometimes that's they think it's the end all be all and it's really not you got to have that education as you mentioned earlier the importance of learning how to read or write that's what i try to get everybody to understand a lot of people look at people now and see them on these big stages but they don't know the process other things that they've had to go through sometimes we forget to tend to forget about that and not everybody make it and yes everybody have aspirations of becoming the next whomever but they don't understand that there are certain people in other countries that have those same aspirations that's working 10 times harder that's doing this and doing that and again everybody don't make it and to have an education is something to fall back on and um, be able to use your mind and not just beat your body up because after a while, iron wear out. And sometimes people think that, 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 that you know, their bodies don't get tired and it's just like, no, it's a lot of work. And and I understand that people have, you know, big dreams to make it to the WNBA. And I, I mean, WNBA, NBA, NFL, Major League Baseball, any sport that they um, aspire to be a part of. But Having your education is so much more important. I tell everybody, I say, we're traveling overseas. Um, I said, if I know how to read, you think I know how to make it to the airports? I said, I don't just, for me, basketball was not just a, a game. It was life. And I was able to utilize 
what I learned in the classroom and everyday life. Enjoyed my time uh, in school. But I will say this, I'll go all the way back to in Bon when I was at Bonneville and Kenner. I clowned around in school a little bit and I came up a hundred tenth of a point short on my ACT. It didn't matter how many times I took it. And I ended up having to sit away from sit out. So basketball was taken away from me. And then perspective was put perspective had to be put in place. And from that moment on nobody ever had to tell me anything about my education. Because when I didn't do the things that I was supposed to do in certain people's eyes, or I didn't live up to what they thought or whatever, all the naysayers was like, the first thing they said, she'll never be doing it, she'll never, she'll never do it, she'll never be good at it, she was never smart enough, I don't know why we believe in this and this, and that motivated me. In that moment, I learned that I would never put myself in a situation to um, have people to say that about me when I know that it's things that I can control and I could have done better. So my education is very important, and I harp on that more than anything. Where can they find you on social media? On Instagram, I am quickdeuce, Q-U-I-C-K-D-E-U-C-E. -E. Um, Snapchat, the same thing. Facebook, Tamika Johnson. Uh, and that's pretty much all. Twitter is uh, Tamika Johnson. No, it's quickdeuce as well. And if you want to follow the foundation, it's Meeks Hope 2 on Instagram and Meeks Hope 2 on Twitter. You heard it from a Tamika Johnson basketball player, also humanitarian, also difference maker. She's making a difference in the community and she's done a lot and she's continuing to do big things. Tamika, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. We got to do this again. Thank you. I look forward to it. Thanks for having me. That's Tamika Johnson right here on The Robinson Show. Coming up, we'll have more. You stay tuned. June 26th, pick up your copy of Flying High to Victory, a recap of the 2017 Philadelphia Eagles season on audiobook. If you were captivated by the ebook, then you will be mesmerized by the audiobook. Pick up your copy of Flying High to Victory, available on audiobook, June 26th. My guest is a young man that's definitely making a mark in the world. He recently graduated from Adams State University with a business degree with a minor in marketing. And also, and this young man was a force in the basketball world. He recently set a record during his time at Adams State. We'll talk more about that throughout the course of this interview. And he's certainly on his way to doing big things here out here in the world. And ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Robinson Show, Brandon Sly. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I appreciate it. My first question is, now you can correct me if I'm wrong, your collegiate career was at Adams State University. Now, I was doing some research here, and it says that Adams State is located in the state of Colorado. Matter of fact, it's located in Alamosa, Colorado. Tell me, wh what was your journey to Adams State? So I actually, out of high school, I um, went to a JUCO, a two-year school, a little JUCO. It was called um, USU Eastern. It was in Price, Utah a little small town, Price, Utah. And um, that's kind of where I started off, just JUCO. I went to JUCO route first just to try to see if I can go D1 or D2. And um, I went there. I averaged about 17 points, five assists, three rebounds. Had a good year there. Made second team, all swag. Um, and just had good years, like met a lot of people, made a lot of connections. And then after my two years there, I had a bunch of D2s, had some D1s interested in me. But at the end of the day, Adam State was just the one school that was really interested in me and like they every day calling me, texting me, just making sure I'm okay. And then I just sat down, talked to my parents, and I just was like, you know what, I wanna go where I know I'm gonna be I'm gonna be the man and I just know like they're gonna treat me right and treat me how I wanna be treated and let me go in there and do what I love to do and that's play basketball. So I ended up signing to um Adam State and then I played my last two years there from 16 to this year, 18. And um, I had two great years there, my junior and senior year. My junior year, I averaged 16 points, four assists. And then my senior year, I just I just finished. I averaged 18 points, five assists, no, six assists and five rebounds. And it was a two great years there. Ended up making first, uh, second team, 
all RMAC my junior year, and then this year I made first team all RMAC, and I was runner up for MVP of the conference. So it was a it was a cool journey just to get to Adams, and I'm I'm so happy that I decided to go there and just continue my basketball career. Well, I tell you what, though, the people at Adams State definitely were blessed by your talent because according to a stats that I was giving by a gentleman by the name of Rick Sincere over at Trackstar Sports. He told me that you were all RMAC, as you mentioned in your, your last two years of collegiate basketball. You were all RMAC at Adams State, and you averaged 20 points a game, and you became yeah. the 11th, and you became the 11th player in school's history to score 1,000 points. So that's definitely a crowning achievement right there. Do you remember the game where you achieved this feat of scoring 1,000 points? Yes, sir. It was against um, Metro Metro State. They're in Colorado. They're in our conference. It was actually first round of the playoffs, and um, I knew I I think I needed like it. I think I needed like eleven points or thirteen or some points, and so I was gonna hit a thousand. But just throughout the game, like I was scoring and stuff. But I never really I didn't know what I was at really because I wasn't focused on that. I was just like, man, I just want to win. And then um, I had it on the left wing, and I just drove left. And I believe I went behind the back, and then I just pulled up, and then I shot a bank shot, made it. And the crowd just went extra crazy. And I was just thinking to myself, like, oh, snap, that might be my 1,000 points. Then come to find out it was. And then after the game, people were congratulating me and stuff. So it was just a great feeling, a great atmosphere. And, like, it's just something I'll never forget. And, like, I can tell my kids when I get older. Absolutely. And that's always a crowning achievement when, I mean, when you can consistently put up points per game like that but to score a thousand points become the 11th person in the school's history that's definitely no small potatoes now i want to continue with the conference that your unit the university that you played for is in uh the rmac which stands for the rocky mountain athletic conference and i'm looking at the schools that are in this conference you have black hill state shadron state colorado christian colorado mesa colorado school of mines you have Colorado State at Pueblo, the University of Colorado at Colorado Springs. You also have Fort Lewis College. You have the Metropolitan State University of Denver, New Mexico Highlands University, Regis University, South Dakota School of Mines and Technology, Western State Colorado, and Westminster College. Now, these are schools. These are not the powerhouse schools in the Pac-12. This is not Arizona. This is not Arizona State or Cal or USC or things of that nature. I have to ask you, what was the competition like in your in that conference? So the competition, the competition is real good. There's a few, there's not as many, but there are some really good guards that I have to compete with every night. But um, like as as a team, it's just I feel like our conference is really team basketball, team defense. So it's kind of just tough, just because there's um, our school. We had a bunch of players that it was like our second year. We were it was our first year at Adams. Like all the other schools, they had four year players, three year players. So they've been together for a long time. So so it was just tough for us just to like connect. But we we connected really good this year. Had a really good season. But that's just really what the RMAX is about. It's just about team, team defense, team offense. I mean, there's teams that had good good one on one players, but at the end of the day. They can't do it all by themselves. You got to have a good team, have role players, bench players, and all that. So that's pretty much what the RMAX is about right there. Yeah, you know, they always say in the smaller conferences, that's where the hidden gems are at because it's not so much, like you mentioned earlier, it's built on team ball and the emphasis on the fundamentals of the game, especially with defense. So it's not as necessarily star-driven, but they really teach the fundamentals of the game. And that's what I love about the small conferences. They don't necessarily get the media exposure. All right, now, you know, every journey has, well, I should say every journey has a beginning point. So your hometown is Riverton, Utah. Now, I'm looking at the population of the town. It's just over 38,000 people. It's located in the Salt Lake City, Utah area. Yes, sir. But you were born, but you also mentioned to me earlier before we went on the air that you were born in the Los Angeles area. Tell me about your early beginnings in the Los Angeles area and then making the transition to Utah and growing up in your hometown of Riverton. Yeah, so just um I was like I said I was born in Cali in Los Angeles area and like just growing up it was kind of tough just cuz like we didn't have like I was with my biological mom we didn't really have like all that like that much money and stuff so we're staying in apartments staying in this like 
sometimes wouldn't eat dinner and stuff like that, but just went through a lot. And then long story short, I hit about, I was like eight years old, nine years old. There was this gym down the street called Jim Gilliam Rec. And my mom just wanted to get me in sports just to keep me busy and keep me out of trouble. So then I went down there. I played like three sports, basketball. I played soccer. I played baseball. I played football, four sports. So I played football too. And then I played all those, and then basketball was just my main my main passion. I don't know. I just had a real good connection with it. I felt like I could be really good at it. So I played that. And then when I hit fifth grade, my mom, she uh she wanted to just try something new. So she's like, hey, let's move to uh Utah. So we moved to Utah just to start fresh. Came out to Utah. We actually stayed in Salt Lake City for a little bit for, like, I want to say, like, three years, four years. We stayed in Salt Lake City. And then my ninth grade year, my mom got sick with arthritis. And it's like she would she would have to stay in the bed a lot, and I had to take care of her. But I was just so young. It's my ninth grade year. I'm on the high school team. And I just wanted to hang out with my friends, like do what all the teenagers were doing. So I wasn't home a lot. And um, my coach, his name was uh, Scott Fields, and he was a counselor at a counselor at the um, the high school I was going to, West High School in Utah. And I just got a real good connection with him. Um, he let me come over to his house, hang out with his wife and stuff. They let me sleep over. They, like, buy me, like, clothes and stuff just to help help my mom out and stuff like that. And then long story short, my mom one day just, she called him and asked him, like, would you guys want to be Brandon's legal guardians? And then she was going to move back to Cali just so she can get help and stuff like that. And then they agreed to it. And I've been living with them ever since. I call them mom and dad. I've loved them so much. They help me out a lot. And then me and my mom, we we talk almost every day. I love her. She actually stays in Vegas now, but I love her so much. And um, that's kind of just how I came up and just what I've been through, like, through my life. And now, and then I went to college and all that. Like, and if it wasn't for probably Kim and Scott, the people that let me, became my legal guardians, I don't know if I'd be the person I am today. I don't know if I'd still be a basketball player. I would have probably went on a different path, but I'm just happy that everything happened how it happened. While we're staying on your hometown of Riverton, Utah, again, we, we mentioned, uh, we talked before we went on the air that it's a part of the Salt Lake City area. I know sometimes mm-hmm. you may you may hear this a lot, but what is the African-American presence like in the state of Utah? Because sometimes, you know, here you hear people may make certain remarks and they say, oh, there's no black people in Utah or things of that nature. But tell me, as a young man growing up in that state, did you have connections with other African-Americans? Did you know a little bit about black culture? Were, were you encouraged to know your roots as well as maintain everything that Utah had to offer? So really, so when I first moved here, it was just big culture shock. Just a lot of white people everywhere. And like they, st- I don't know, they just stare a lot, stuff like that. So it was a little getting used to. But there's, there's, there's a... There's black people, there's more than people think. And just like what what's cool about Utah is like every I feel like almost every black person knows each other or they don't know each other, but they just see each other and they respect each other. Just like, hey, how you doing? Or hope you're having a good day, stuff like that. And just my high school I went to, there was actually like four black kids that went to the school. So it was like mostly white people. So but they're just really nice. The um, um, white people out here and then just I don't know, the African-Americans, like, everyone out here is friendly, and, like, there could be drama between each other, but most of the time it's friendly, positive vibes, and I've met, most of the African-Americans that I've met have actually been through basketball, and then off the court I see them, and then they'll be with their friends, or I'll be with my friends, and then we just introduce, and that's kind of how, like, everyone just connects and stuff like that. So, I mean, it's not as much African-Americans, but I don't know. I I actually love Utah, and I feel like there's, I think there's a lot, actually, more than I thought there was going to be when I first came here. Okay, so now that you've clarified that, uh, speaking of the state that you were born in, California, I've got to ask you, though, know, Utah is home to the Utah Jazz. They play in Salt Lake City, but you said mm-hmm. that you were a, a fan of a team that uh, dons the purple and gold. Can you tell the audience about that? Yes, I am a Big Lakers fan. That's been my team since I was little. I've always loved the Lakers. And just that's just one team that I've enjoyed watching. Like, I've watched them when they had, like, Jordan Farmer, Smush Parker, Kobe, of course, Bynum, Gasol, Freak. I, there's a, just a lot of players that I remember, and that's just always been my team, even though 
when they have bad seasons, they're still my team. When they have great seasons, I love to brag about them. But that's just my team. And I actually, I actually like the Utah Jazz. I've actually watched them this past year because Donovan Mitchell was doing really good for them. And it was just cool just to see, like, the team in my – where I'm staying at, hometown, like, they're doing good. So, I'm not going to lie, I've been kind of just being a little Jazz fan, but I'm still a Lakers fan. But it's just cool. It's cool just to be out just to be out in uh, Utah and the Jazz are actually – you can see that they're starting to build and I hope they can get one more little – like maybe a star player or just a veteran that can come in and then just help them get over that hump. Have you ran into any Jazz players, maybe downtown or anywhere in the area? I saw uh, Donovan Mitchell at this club I went to and I didn't really – I didn't talk to him, but I saw him out there and then I saw um, there's another rookie on the team. I can't remember his name, but he was out too. And then I've seen go, I've seen go bear. And then um, a couple years ago, when Trey Burke was out here, I ran a camp with him. I did a little basketball camp. And yeah, when I was younger, like when Wesley Matthews was on there and stuff, I met him. And then I met uh, like Alex Burks when when he was on there, uh, when he was like getting more minutes. And then I met um, Ronnie Brewer when he used to be on there. There's a few, like there's times I met a lot of jazz players, and then. I actually went to one of the Jazz practices like four months ago. I didn't really talk to him, but it was just cool just to watch how hard they go and just like how much time they put in like after practice and stuff just to make their games better, which was a cool experience just to sit back and watch because I'm a basketball player. All right. Now, speaking of basketball, now that you've graduated from college, I want to ask you, are there any plans for the NBA? Are you getting ready for the NBA draft or are you planning to play overseas? So my agent, um, I signed with an agent named Mike Nadich. He's been trying to um, talk to the Jazz, um, this dude named Walt Perrin from the Jazz, just to see if I can come in there and get a workout. And we're just, I'm really just waiting on a date to get a workout with him, which would be cool. I think I'm good enough to play on the um, G League team for the Jazz, Salt Lake Stars, so I would love to get on that team, but... Um, I am probably going to end up overseas. I have a overseas camp in July in Vegas. It's July 8th to the 10th. And then I don't know if you heard of the um, the um, uh, TBT tournament. It's supposed to be on ESPN and stuff. You play for $2 million. I'm playing with um, Team Utah. Our first game is June 29th in Spokane, Washington. It's on ESPN. We play, I forgot, I don't know what time we play yet, but I'm playing in that. And then I'll also be going out to Cali to play in the Drew League a little bit just to get some experience against some uh, pro-level guys just to help my game out and then get a few workouts in out there. And then just throughout the summer, I just train, train myself, train train younger kids, try to help. I like helping the youth out to make them better because they're the future. So that's pretty much my summer. But I'll probably end up somewhere overseas. Uh, my agent's been talking to a bunch of um, teams from Europe. So after I go to the overseas camp, I'll probably get some offers, some more offers from uh, hopefully some Europe teams or whatever, and then just start my career. Do you know where in Europe? I don't know where in Europe. I don't. I don't know yet. Okay, well, whatever it is, I'm sure it's all going to work out for you. And, um, you know, it's just, you're very talented. I mean, when you've, what you've done in JUCO and what you've done at Adams State, you're certainly one that's talented and certainly is going to do big things regardless whether it be in the NBA or overseas. So um, I wanted to ask you, uh, you said you graduated with a business degree with a minor in marketing. Any plans of being an entrepreneur once your playing career is over with? Oh, yes. Yeah. So what I really want to do is I want to – Hopefully, you know, go overseas, go to the NBA, whatever, and just get a financially stable for myself. And I want to um, buy some, like, little small piece of land in Utah and open up my own um, little um, basketball facility so I can train younger kids or just get some friends that I know that are trainers and just help them out and then just start a little a little um, business just like that, just training kids or just maybe, like, tra- training them or teaching them just, little things about the game stuff that I've learned or just bringing in pros that can come talk to them about stuff and just helping every, I don't want to just want to help all the, all the younger kids out, out there. Oh, that's awesome. That's great. Uh, doing big things and uh, definitely thinking about your future. It's like kind of like a lot of players. They think that, you know, the end all, the end all be all is athletics, but there's nothing wrong with athletics, but it's always wonderful that you can keep yourself focused on the long term and, what lies ahead. It's good that you've got a good head on your shoulders and know what you want to do once your playing days are over with. So last thing, Brandon, 
where can they find you on social media? So my Twitter is um, two sly ASU, and then my Instagram is two ly ASU, and then on Facebook I'm just Brandon Sly, and then I have a LinkedIn just Brandon Sly. That's and I really I really mostly use um, Twitter and Instagram, but that's where you can find me. I mean I'm. A nice person. I love meeting new people, making new friends. So you add me, I'll probably add you back and just try to communicate and then whatever. Brandon, thank you so much for taking your time out of your busy schedule to be on The Robinson Show. And we look forward to keeping up with you in the near future. Thanks so much. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. That was Brandon Sly, recent graduate of Adams State University, graduated with a degree in business with a minor in marketing, on his way to playing overseas and possibly in the NBA. He's definitely destined for big things. Coming up, we'll have more of The Robinson Show right after this. You stay tuned. If you thought the ebook was outstanding, you haven't witnessed anything yet. Coming June 26th, Flying High to Victory, a recap of the 2017 Philadelphia Eagles season, now will be available on audiobook. If you love the ebook experience, then you're going to love the audiobook. Available June 26th. Welcome back, everybody. Real quickly, it was busy on the NBA and NHL front. Let's start off with the NHL Stanley Cup Finals. The Washington Capitals defeated the Vegas Golden Knights in five games. They would go on to win the series four games to one to become the 2018 Stanley Cup champions. Alex Ovechkin was named MVP. And in the NBA Finals, the Golden State Warriors did it once again. Back-to-back NBA titles. It's their third championship in four years. Kevin Durant was voted MVP as the Warriors swept the Cleveland Cavaliers. Don't forget, available now, the top 10 super picks, who I believe will be the top 10 teams in this year's NFL season. Go to lulu.com and find out how. Just go to lulu.com and type in my name in the search box, Ed Robinson. And don't forget, June 26th, Flying High to Victory, the audiobook chronicling the 2017 Philadelphia Eagles season. That's going to do it for this week's show. I'm yours truly, Ed Robinson. And remember, put God first in everything you do, and you can't go wrong. Until next time, stick to the script. We're out. Peace. If you thought the ebook was outstanding, you haven't witnessed anything yet. Coming June 26th, Flying High to Victory, a recap of the 2017 Philadelphia Eagles season, now will be available on audiobook. If you love the ebook experience, then you're going to love the audiobook. Available June 26th.